My name is Michael Brock. I'm the senior pastor here at Third Presbyterian Church. Third Pres has been a part of the downtown Birmingham community since 1884, and we still today hold to the historic, classic Christian faith. We're glad you've been watching, but we would love to have you join us one Sunday in person. Please see our website for our Sunday morning service times, and I hope to meet you soon. Reading today comes from Romans chapter 5, page number 942 in your pew Bibles. Romans chapter 5, page 942, and while you're turning there, the children are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. You know, those, the words of that song we were just singing, they're so good. This, this, that might be, a, this might be a section of your bulletin you take some scissors to. Cut that out and put it in the front of your Bible. And before you begin your daily Bible reading, you know, just pray that. Work through this. Because that's what it is. It is a prayer that the Lord would speak to us and, and do these things. Really, really good words. I'm preaching through Romans these days. <clears throat> this is sermon number 24. And I've called today's sermon, Why Christians Rejoice in Suffering. Why Christians Rejoice in Suffering. <clears throat> the theme of Romans is found in chapter 1, verse 16, where we read that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And then at, after that, verse 16 in Romans chapter 1, so from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, we see of man's need for the gospel. And then in chapter 3, verse 21, through the end of chapter 4, we see God's provision of the gospel, where it's explained, defended, and even illustrated in the life of Abraham. Now we're in chapter 5 looking at the benefits of the gospel, or as it's phrased here, uh, having been justified, made right with God, the good news that God has provided a way for man to be made righteous when he's not righteous, which is an amazing concept. And we get that righteousness because of Christ's righteousness. He was righteous, and it gets put on us by faith as we trust in Christ. So that's what we're looking at today. In a sense, we're still talking about the benefits of um, being justified by faith. Last week we looked at the first three, which were uh, peace with God, access to God, and hope uh, in God, or hope for God. So today we're reading these verses again, but we'll be focusing on verses 3 through 5. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, <clears throat> we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from this, Your Word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we have some beautiful flowers here behind us today 
And so normally I can see pretty well over there, but there's still a couple of you. These flowers are so big and so beautiful. We had a wedding here last night. When, so we have, we have beautiful flowers often, um, but uh, we, this is an extra dose of awesomeness this morning. Uh, so anyway, can't see some of you over there in the chapel today, but uh, anyway, it had nothing to do with the sermon, and um, so let me just dive in here. Uh, you know, some of you have probably had uh, multiple surgeries in your life and uh, for, for different types of ailments that you have that you've experienced and uh, while some people for some reason don't seem to do well with surgeries operations of various sorts many of you would say you know I don't look forward to it and yeah there's some pain involved but the benefits far outweigh all that they're so helpful um, to, you know, whatever it might be that you've had some surgery for, it takes care of, you know, aches, pains, disease, all these different things. And so you would just be very quick to note the amazing benefits of these surgeries. Well, Paul is, in a sense, teaching us here that suffering is kind of like that surgery. Suffering produces all kinds of amazing benefits. And we see these here. Um, that's why Christians rejoice in our sufferings. Which is what we see here in verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings. And we'll look at what these benefits are today. Last week we saw in verse 1 that the benefits of being justified, being made right with God, are peace with God. And then in verse 2 that it's access to God. And then also in verse 2 it's hope in God. The expectation of seeing God, being with Him, being made like Him. Today I want to point to the fourth benefit of our justification being righteous in god's eyes and that is that christians rejoice in suffering christians rejoice in suffering so that's my theme and let me work through it with four points number one christians rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance suffering produces endurance verse three we rejoice in our sufferings Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Other translations, trans, uh, uh, tr- tr- other versions translate suffering as tribulations, hardship, trials. And the sufferings here, they don't really mean the aches and pains of life, the disappointments, uh, the disappointments in life, the, the fears and frustrations of life that we experience. The Greek word here is philipsis, and um, it's the same Greek word used in Jesus' words to his disciples in uh, John chapter 16, verse 33, where he says, In the world you will have tribulation or sufferings or trials. Luke records Paul using this same Greek word in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, where we read, Through many tribulations, sufferings, trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. So sufferings here, it really speaks to uh, persecution. It speaks to opposition. It speaks to uh, pressure. Matter of fact, John Stott, the way he phrases it here is that uh, he, he, he says that these sufferings that are being spoken of are the pressures of a godless society, the, pressure, the pressures of a godless world. Now, no doubt we are sensing that and experiencing that more and more today in the world in which we live. Um, 
you know, the, one of the things that's been in the news this past week is um, a lot of conversation about whether or not it's proper for a Christian to attend a wedding of a transgendered person. And so what 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 happened here in the last I don't in the last couple of weeks really it's kind of it's it's been an issue on social media a lot of people have been talking about it I even saw it on Fox News one time and um, I probably was on CNN and MSNBC as well I, you know it's just various places it's it's made its way in the news but um, <clears throat> the the question is whether or not it would be proper to attend a wedding of a transgender person and so a well known uh, Christian man preacher has. Uh, come under some fire for encouraging a grandmother to attend uh, the transgender the wedding of uh, this grandparent grandmother's grandchild I don't remember if it's a, a son or a grandson or granddaughter but uh, he encouraged her to attend the wedding now he he says you know very clear he says it's not proper it's not uh, a biblical righteous way to live in a transgendered state that's not proper God makes you know, male and female and and so we shouldn't be trying to change that he uh he said he wouldn't necessarily give the same advice in a in a different setting if the circumstances were different he might give some different advice there and he even told the grandmother to tell the grandchild that she disapproved of it that it wasn't right that it wasn't proper but still he encouraged her to attend to show love for the grandchild and so there's been a lot of debate. Is that proper for Christians to support this kind of thing or not? Uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that it is bad advice. Um, I don't doubt the intention and the heart of the man who gave that advice, but I agree with his critics. Uh, again, I don't think he's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's, he loves the Lord. He, he holds to the Christian faith. It's just bad advice, in my opinion, in this particular case. Um, the question is, you know, how... Uh, how supportive should Christians be when there is a celebration of sin? That, that's really kind of the, the question at root here. I was thinking about it. You know, what if my son was initiated into the Ku Klux Klan? You know, and then there was going to be a reception to celebrate that. Would I attend that? No, of course, I, of course, I wouldn't attend that. And so, uh, you know, that's the thing as Christians, we want to avoid, you know, being supportive, affirming in any way. A celebration of sin. And this is just one example. This kind of stuff is going on all the time, but, you know, the list would be very long of all the different ways there are more and more pressures in the world today for Christians to celebrate sinful actions, for, for Christians um, to cave in to pressures of various kinds. Christians rejoice in these sort of sufferings, tribulations. And we don't take pleasure in pain. That's not proper. We don't act like they don't exist. That's, that's known as stoicism or it might, you know, certain Eastern mystical religions would be encouraging that. And we shouldn't call it persecution if you brought on this sort of persecution or suffering on yourself because you acted like an idiot. That you know, that's that's your fault. <laughs> it's not necessarily a pressure because you were a Christian; it's because you were an idiot. But again, the idea here is surgery. We're nervous about the surgery. Yeah, there's some pain there. Probably wish we didn't have to go through it, but we're thankful for it. We rejoice in it because it makes us better. If you got a bad back and <clears throat> the surgery helps you to walk straight, it corrects your posture. 
And that's what sufferings do. They make you walk straight. They give you a posture of endurance. They make us, teach us how to persevere. Now, how does suffering produce endurance? Well, we can't learn endurance without suffering. Because without suffering, there wouldn't, you wouldn't really be having to endure anything. If, if you weren't suffering, then you would be enjoying. And so you don't have to endure things you enjoy. You just enjoy them. But it's when something is difficult, when there's suffering, that's when you learn endurance. Because you're having to go through something that's difficult. You know, the early Christians suffered greatly for their faith. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs or Eusebius's Church History, uh, those are some enlightening books. Accounts of Christians being, you know, fed to lions, um, being being made made to sit on, uh, you know, thrones of bronze that have been heated, you know, uh, and I mean, just all kinds of terrible things, all kinds of suffering that that the Christians went through. And in the process, they learned endurance. Christians were often told that you had to say Caesar is Lord, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't cave to the pressure that would have, it would have relieved them from the pain and, and the suffering. But if they had caved into that pressure, they wouldn't have learned endurance. I don't know what kind of pressure you might be under today. You know, we, when I was in school years ago, you, you talked about peer pressure. And in a sense, there's always peer pressure whether it's work associates or neighbors or, or just in the community at large, there's always going to be pressure that we face as Christians. Sufferings, tribulations, difficulties. But Christians rejoice in them because suffering produces endurance. Second, <clears throat> Christians rejoice in suffering because endurance produces character. Verse 3 again, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse 4, and endurance produces character. I was trying to think about, you know, how this works and, and these words, endurance and character. Endurance is something you do. Character is something you are. Endurance is something you do. Character is something that you are or that you become. Endurance or enduring suffering, it makes you into something that you weren't before. And therefore, you become a character, a person of character, of strong character. And that's what endurance does. It produces that. And it's been said about preaching that the most impactful preaching comes from deep wounds, not big ideas. And I would add to that that the most impactful We'll say singing and songwriting, if you're, if you're in that world, comes from deep wounds, not necessarily big ideas. The most impactful one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have come from deep wounds more than big ideas. The most impactful lives come from people who have deep wounds rather than just big ideas. And why is that? 
because when I'm well acquainted with suffering, I'm more like the Lord Jesus. He's referred to as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And so the more sufferings and difficulty we go through, the more wounds we have, the more we're like Christ. Therefore, the more fruitful that we will live and the more impactful our lives will be. So Christians, rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And then third, we rejoice in suffering because character produces hope. The way I keep saying it, of course, is that suffering, or the way I'm encouraging you to think about it this morning, suffering is the first in a chain of events. It's like the first domino to fall. And this, these are the things it produces. Character produces hope. Verse 4, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So when my faith has been put to the test, when your faith has been put to the test, and you pass the test through these tribulations, through these sufferings and so forth, and you have endured what that makes you then is a person of character. And that proves that your hope, your expectation about eternal life, about being with God, being like, with, being, being like God, that hope is on solid ground. It's, it, it's, that hope is uh, solidly founded. And people of Christian character can be confident in their hope of eternal life. People of Christian character are on a, they're on a firm footing when they have this expectation of being with the Lord, of glory, of, of being with God. Which is why, as we look at verse 5 there, why you should not be ashamed for having hope. With, without endurance and character, your hope or expectation is going to waver. Without endurance and character, you're going to lack assurance that your faith is real. And therefore, you'll lack hope. Expectation again. If you weren't, if you've not here, been here before, and hope biblically is an expectation that just hasn't happened yet. It's not something that you kind of roll of the dice. Hopefully, it'll turn up for you. No, hope is an expectation. Something you know is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. So Christians rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And then finally, verse five: that hope does not put us to shame. And so the way I'm going to say it here for my fourth point is suffering produces assurance. Assurance of your salvation. You are assured that you're in a right relationship with God. You're confident therein. Christians can be and Christians should be secure in our relationship with the Lord. We can be and we should be confident that we are indeed Christians. And I'll give you a couple of reasons from this passage why we can be and should be assured or confident that we truly are Christians. There's an objective reason and a subjective reason. The, the objective reason why we can be assured and have confidence that we're Christians is because of endurance. Endurance gives us confidence. In other words, if we don't endure, then it shows we're not genuine. If we do endure, it shows that we are genuine. We're, we're truly united to Christ. We're truly united to the people of God. The way Jesus uh, gives us this idea in Matthew chapter 13, He gives us the parable of the sower. And this is the way it reads. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, 
where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. In other words, when the pressure came, uh, it didn't endure. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then in verse 18, hear then the parable. He gets into explaining it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The way it has been said, I know Reverend Barker used to say it, but uh, he, he, he gives somebody else credit. I couldn't remember who he gives credit for it, but... Um, it's, it's been phrased this way. If our faith fizzles before the finish, it was faulty from the first. <laughs> That's the idea. If, our, if we don't endure, then yeah, it, that should make us kind of question whether or not we really have salvation, that we really are united to Christ. If our faith fizzles before the finish, it was faulty from the first. Or said positively, when we endure... We are justified and will be saved in the end. The way it's, we read this, this idea in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, in a sense they left the church, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So that's an objective reason why you can have assurance of salvation. You endure through the difficulties. You, you, you last. You don't toss in the, the towel on the faith. You, you maintain love for God and belief in, uh, in, in Christ and so forth. But there's also a subjective reason, and that is the love of God, which is noted here in verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we have assurance when we sense or know that God loves us. And how do we know that? By the Holy Spirit, it says here. The Holy Spirit gives us this awareness of God's love. The way Paul says it a few chapters later in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so, in that sense, that's the subjective piece. You believe deep down in your soul that the love of God is upon you. Now, as you live your life and, and as you live in sin, it will make you question that. And it should. <laughs> That's proper, of course, uh, because Christians are new, new creatures, new creations. <clears throat> we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, we long to be more holy. Certainly never will be in this life, but we long to be more holy and we make progress in that. But if sin is still just the prevalent thing in your life, then you won't have this assurance. And so that's why there is a subjective aspect to this as well as the objective peace, which is living a righteous life for the glory of God that leads to suffering for the glory of God and not caving in, but enduring and enduring through the trials. That's what leads to the assurance. We as Christians should be the most confident people on the planet. 
We rejoice in the sufferings we face because we, we know what that suffering produces. And it's not just Paul saying this. James says this. James chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, the pressures, the tribulations, the testing of your faith produces endurance, it says. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says that, that the testing is more valuable than gold. So as we go back to the beginning here. Christians suffer for the cause of Christ. And they rejoice in suffering for the cause of Christ. And they don't cave in during the pressures of the world that come their way for the cause of Christ. They, they stand firm on, on principle for Christ. And if that's not you today, let's talk. I'd love to chat with you afterwards. But give yourself to Jesus. And if that is you, thank God. Thank God that you've been justified by faith, that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that you have access to God in the grace in which you stand. <clears throat> thank God <clears throat> that you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And thank God that you rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, the Scriptures teach us that what man means for evil, you intend for good. And suffering is that way. It's incredibly productive for Christians. It's beneficial. It deepens our faith. It strengthens our resolve. It gives us assurance of salvation. And I pray that today, Lord, we might all have a renewed appreciation for the benefits of suffering that you allow and bring into our lives, that we would rejoice in them, that we would all say as we're getting ready to sing, whatever my lot, God has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul.